0: the journey out of the wilderness. The journey out of the wilderness. Almighty God, I ask that you would quicken our understanding and open before us the path into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your kindness, your love, Your compassion. Lord I thank you. That you will deliver a man from every bondage and every wickedness. And heal his heart. And restore him to yourself. That we no longer need to walk in shame. We no longer need to walk with reproach regardless of what the past has been, the future can be bright and clean and honest. Lord, today, make that plain to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I'm going to say to you today is not an aid to a life lived in the American culture. I'm not interested in helping add on to your life the sentimentality of Jesus. I want you to see today a path that is outside of the American culture. We have lived for many years in a bubble, a prosperity bubble, And so our view of reality is dramatically different than the view of a man who lives in sub-Sahara or a man who lives in another part of the world who survives on a dollar or two dollars a day. So we've lived in this bubble of prosperity and we've added Jesus to an already full life. I'm not interested in helping you do that. I'm interested in helping you pop the bubble and begin to examine what it means to leave the American culture and enter into the culture of heaven. Because that's where salvation is. That's where Jesus is. All this past actually two weeks I've been teaching on Elijah. Elijah frightens me because James tells us that Elijah was a man like we are, but Elijah did not end up a man like we are. We need to end up like Elijah. Elijah was driven by fear. He was driven by every kind of issue that we too are driven by. But when he finally was taken into heaven, he was a man of such stature. Such stature. A giant. Because he made the journey through the wilderness and then exited the wilderness into the promised land of God. America is not the promised land. Let's be straight. America is not the promised land. We are but sojourners here. We are but aliens and strangers here. We have a home, but it's not the United States. Now, don't get me wrong. I love America. I love the American people. But this is not my home. Heaven is my home. I'm to abide with Jesus Christ for eternity. So I want to talk to you briefly out of the scriptures and out of Elijah's life about the necessary steps to leave the wilderness and begin to enter into a place where we can be caught up with Christ. Now please understand, my entire agenda for my life is to prepare to dwell for eternity with Jesus Christ and to take as many as possible with me. I'd like you to go along. I don't want to spend eternity and think back and say, where is this one? And where is that one? And why did they miss out? Only to have Jesus say, they love the world and the things of the world and they never decided to be serious about following me i don't want to hear that about you and believe me i don't want you to hear that about me <laughs> i want jesus in the book of second kings we catch just a brief glimpse of who Elijah is in Christ before he is taken into eternity. Elijah appears suddenly before Ahab's court. He pronounces the word of God And then God, in his mercy, knows he needs to hide him because Elijah is terrified that he's going to die. That an assassin is going to come after him. And so he's hidden beside the brook Jareth. And the ravens come and feed him. And the brook dries up. So he's sent to Zarephath, Jezebel's home country. And there he's hidden by God with a widow, with the the flower that never runs out and the cruse of oil that never runs dry. This is a testimony to Elijah. This was not for the widow of Zarephath. This was for Elijah. Now when he comes back and we see the great victory on Mount Carmel, we see the true heart of Elijah. He is operating way beyond his maturity level. And when Queen Jezebel says, I am going to kill you. He does not stand up and say, the dogs are going to lick your blood and you are going to die. He doesn't say that. He runs. We see his his manhood of cowardice. We don't blame him. Because we can picture ourselves already being told, you're going to die. An assassin is coming after you. Believe me, I might go hide too. But glory be, this man's heart was for God. And so he did not run to hide in the woods. He ran to the mountain of God. The mountain of God was such a journey that he could not bear to take it. And so finally he lays down under the broom tree and says, let me die. I've had it. I've gone as far as I can go. Which of us has not come to that place? Where we said, I can't do it. I can't go on. I'm done. I'm burnt. Just this week, some of you said that to me. I'm done. Either God has to come and deliver me or I'm out of here. And of course, when we're in that position, God sends ministering spirits. Very practical ones. Here, Elijah, wake up. Drink this water. Eat this bread. The journey's too much for you. The compassion of this angel He eats and drinks and immediately he's sound asleep again. This man was tired. He's awakened a second time and he is fed again. He's given water again. And then he travels for 40 days. That food must have been super powerful green. He travels for 40 days. And he arrives in the Mount of God. And there in the mount of God, the word of the Lord comes to him. Most of us are very excited when the word of God comes to us. Elijah pours out his, his victimization, his sorrow. I'm the only one left in all of Israel who is holy. No, he's not. There are 7,000 who have not kneeled before Baal or kissed him. Then the most miraculous thing happens. The mercy of God is so outstanding. The voice of God, the word of God came to him, but now God comes to him himself. And he's not in the fire and he's not in the thunder and he's not in the wind most of us want something big from God. When it's God Himself who comes, a burning mountain. When God Himself comes to us, it's in a still small voice, a voice of love and compassion and mercy. And He speaks to us and He calls us. What are you doing here, Elijah? And again, He pours out His spiel. I love Elijah. How many times have you gone before God and poured out your spiel? Or you didn't even go before God. You just went down the road angry, cursing at the car that just cut you off and saying, why are people so stupid and so dumb? And why do I have to put up with this like you're somebody, right? It's so easy to call somebody an idiot. But the truth is, we're just looking in the mirror. God is so kind to him. He gives him some very specific assignments. And Elijah heads back, believing that God is going to take him as soon as he finishes his assignments. He's going to lay down like Moses and die. 20 years later. He's still with us. 20 years later, Elijah is still on the earth. But he's a totally different man. There is no longer any fear in his heart. There is no longer any resistance to the will of God in his heart. He has been utterly transformed by the presence of God. And now he operates... Not in any earthly manner. He operates now only according to the word of the living God. And that word of the living God is with him constantly. It is one of those rare old covenant prophets that has come into such intimacy with God that God never leaves him and he never leaves God we are called to that place. The New Testament is more glorious than the old. And in the New Testament and the New Covenant, we should dwell constantly in the presence of God. Now, let's pick the story up in Second Kings 20 years later. Ahab is dead. His son Ahaz has taken over the kingdom. And he's had an accident. He's fallen through the lattice of his room, one story down. And he's bedridden. And in his bedridden condition, he sends messengers. To consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see whether or not he will recover from his injury. And it makes God angry. You know, these little side notes are so important for us to hear. God is a person, He's not a computer. You can, by your words and your behavior, make God angry. It's not wise. The angel of the Lord, verse 3, said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. They return, they tell the king what the message was. The king knew they had not had time to go all the way to consult Beelzebub. And so he says, Why have you come back so early? Well, they answer, verse 6 A man came to meet us, they replied, and he said, Go back to the king who sent you and tell him this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending men to consult Belzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. And this king is furious. And so he sends 50 men and a captain to take charge of the prophet Elijah. The 50 men show up. Verse 9. He sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. These men were armed for battle. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of the hill and he said, man of God, the king says, come down. Well, Elijah does not serve the king. The king is to serve the God of Elijah. Elijah answers the captain, If I am the man of God, may fire came down, come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men. The fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. This man doesn't have to carry a rifle, he carries fire. He carries fire. Fifty men gone. The king sends to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. The captain says, man of God, this is what the king says, come down at once. Fire. Now a hundred men have been been executed for disrespecting the God of heaven. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Do you see, Elijah has already made the transition from earth to heaven. He is operating in the power of God. There's no fear in him. He is utterly fearless. Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life. And the lives of these 50 men, your servants. You see, Elijah is beyond this earth already. The power of God is resting on him. Remember, Elijah is a man like we are. We are called likewise to leave this earth. We are called likewise to lay down our fear. We are called likewise to enter into the power of God I don't want to bring fire down on anybody, but I want the God of heaven to be respected. I want the abortionists to stop. I want the murder of children to stop. I want the King of Kings to be respected in our land. I want prayer to be back in our schools. I want the Bible to be respected. We live in an age when there is utter disrespect for the kingdom of God, even as there was in Elijah's time. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now have respect for my life. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, "Okay, go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. Now I want to move quickly. Many of us have recognized that when the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, they were taken into the wilderness. And the wilderness was a symbol of a place where no man can live except he is supported by the presence of God. The wilderness is a place of testing and trial. The wilderness is a place that Jesus went to immediately after his baptism. You would think that Jesus would have gone to Jerusalem and introduced himself to the Sanhedrin. He did not do that. He instead was taken into the desert into the wilderness where a man is tempted, where a man is tried. Some of you recognize how deeply you have been tested on whether or not you will serve the Lord Jesus. And you recognize the number of times you have utterly failed that test. The first place a Christian goes after he commits his heart to Christ is the wilderness to a place where will you cut off your sin or will you not? And some of you, frankly, have just become very comfortable in the desert. I don't want you to ever be comfortable in the desert. God did not intend for us to live in a desert of poverty or hardship that was never his plan. The desert was a temporary place where we moved through after being tried and after being worked in and upon by the Holy Spirit so that we could then come out of the wilderness in the glory of Jesus and begin to be used mightily for his kingdom. But remember the children of Israel refused to come out of the wilderness, and so they died in their place. I don't want you all to die in your desert. But some of you have become very skilled at being comfortable in your desert. Don't be comfortable in the desert. It's a place that should drive us to the prayer closet a place that should drive us into the presence of Jesus, where we allow Him to deal with every imperfection in our character, a place where we allow Him to totally transform us, to prepare us for the journey to heaven. Now this journey to heaven comes as we are on the edge of the wilderness. What's the difference between the edge of the wilderness and the wilderness? A brother said to me this last week, it's the same place. You can't tell any difference. The only difference between the edge of the wilderness and the promised land... is that when you're on the edge, it's not going to last as long. You're close to where you can walk out of the wilderness by the power of the Spirit. But it looks like you're still in the depths of the wilderness. Now the first place the Lord will take us as we leave the wilderness is found in the second chapter of 2 Kings, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind or in a tempest, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now what is the significance of coming from Gilgal? Gilgal is the first place we come to as we leave the wilderness. Gilgal is Actually, there are three cities of Gilgal in old Israel. One is up on the mountain, one is down in the Jordan Valley. But Gilgal always means the same thing. The actual word Gilgal means the rolling away of all reproach. We know we are beginning to exit the desert, wilderness when all of the guilt for past sins has rolled away from us, we know we are forgiven. Some of you today in this room have sinned grievously against God. Now I'm saying some because I'm supposed to be educated. I believe all of you, including me, have sinned grievously against God. Some of you are still continuing to sin. When God has dealt with us and we come to Gilgal, all of that reproach is rolled away from us. And we begin to walk in victory and in peace in our hearts. Gilgal then is the place where the reproach is rolled away. It is the gateway to heaven, if you remember Jacob, the first night out, he lay down, used a stone under his head as a pillow, and he has a vision. And the vision is of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. Jesus later said, I am that ladder. So Gilgal is the place where Jesus finally comes and meets us You'll hear some of us speaking about and crying out to Jesus about a spring rain. Spring rain was the rain that came to bring the crops fully into production. In Israel, the summer was not the time to raise crops. The winter was the time to raise crops because of the subtropical. And so the spring rain is what rescues the plants from the drought and brings the fullness of the harvest. Some of us you've heard praying about the spring rain because we want the harvest of righteousness that we've been in the desert struggling with We need that spring rain to finally bring forth the full promises of God in our lives. Gilgal is a place of rest. It is a place of food and it is a place of healing from the desert. It is also a place of circumcision. Where again the decision is affirmed that we will cut off every possible source of human production, and we will allow God himself to produce in us what he desires. No more rebellion. Now, if you have spent any time in the reality of a desert in your life, you know when you come out, you're pretty beat up. That's why Gilgal is first. A place where we can rest and heal. The second step Elijah says to Elisha, Stay here in Gilgal. In other words, stay here and enjoy life, stay here where there's an abundance of food. Stay here and relax. I've got something I've got to do. I'm going to go on. I'm going to Bethel. And Elijah is told, I'm not staying here. I'm journeying with you, Elijah. So Elijah continues on the journey. He goes to Bethel. Well, Bethel means house of God. So after you have rested and been healed and been fed, the first place we go as we prepare to be fully filled with the power of the Holy Spirit is we go to the house of God. We go to Bethel. And there we deepen our covenant commitment. Decisions must be made. Now that I'm out of the desert, do I think I can go and survive on my own? Or now am I going to enter fully, even more fully? See, constantly this was the question that Elijah had to face. I'm done. I'm mad. I want to die. And God came to him. And from that point on, all Elijah wanted to do was enter more fully into the Lord God of heaven. That's all he wanted. So in Bethel, that house of God, the covenant has to be deepened. The commitment has to be reaffirmed. You're no longer in crisis in your life. If it was financial crisis, the finances have begun to flow. If it's physical crisis, the healing has occurred. And now the question is, are you going to say, "Okay, I've been rescued. Now I've had enough of God. I'm out of here. Or are you going to continue like Elijah to press on into the Lord God of heaven. And then finally. Elijah says stay here in Bethel. Stay here in the house of God. Elisha says no I won't. Elijah says God is sending me to Jericho. I'm going to. Jericho is that place of testing where now we've come out of the desert. We've been given some resources. We've been given some health. And now the question is, are you prepared to press through and overcome what the enemy has established to try to stop your forward progress? Jericho is the place of testing. It is also the place of great victory. It's a place where God steps in and knocks the walls down before you. Now before this, you tried to knock down all the walls yourself until your head was bleeding. Now all you do is walk around it seven times, seven times, seven times. Blow the trumpet. Proclaim the power of God. And the walls are knocked down. This is the Elijah who's getting ready to be taken to heaven. There's one more place he has to go. He has to go to the Jordan River. And he comes to the Jordan River and he takes the, the shawl, the robe off. He rolls it up. He strikes the water and the waters part. Part. The waters part and he walks across on dry ground. Earlier he would have tried to swim and would have been swept away in the torrent. But now he's operating in the power of God and we have got to come to a place in our lives where we stand by the faith of God And we do not allow the enemy to sweep us away. But we stand by faith. This is done in the name of Jesus. I will not back up. I will not back away. I'm going to stand though the heavens fall and God himself will deliver me. That's the place we have to come to. Where we're no longer influenced by how we feel or by the circumstances we see. We instead are directed by the voice of God and there's no backup in us. Now when they had crossed Elijah said to Elisha tell me What can I do for you before I'm taken from you? The disciples, they were not asked that question so overtly, but they did have to answer that question. What do they want from Jesus before he ascends in glory? They want the Holy Spirit. They want the power and they want the presence of the Holy Spirit. So they never again are walking alone. They are now accompanied and filled with Pentecost power of God. And Elisha answers. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. I'm not going to talk about Elisha today except to say I believe Elisha in the old covenant represents the Christian church. And I think we have the right to ask for the double portion. Now, what is the double portion? He would have understood that to mean, I am your firstborn son. So I get two shares of the three. I get a double portion of the inheritance. Now, We're going to talk about this in detail later. This double portion of the Holy Spirit came upon Elisha and Elisha for his entire ministry was never able to fit in with the culture of his day. He was from that day forward always odd man out. He worked more miracles than Elijah but he was also utterly estranged from his culture. You want the double portion? It will make you strange to the world. It will make you strange to your family and your friends. Be careful about asking for the double portion. Because the double portion will transfer you into the presence of God. what took Elijah his whole life to attain, Elisha gained in one quick request. I've been like Elijah, a slow learner, fearful, a desert dweller, as God has dealt with my heart. Elisha never had to go to the desert. He was just transformed. Bang. One fell swoop. He says. Verse 10. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. Not. And as they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. It was gone. I want the chariot to come pick me up. If the chariot of God suddenly came into this room, would you be left behind? Or would you be taken? I would much rather be Elijah than Elisha. In my heart, I've said to the Lord, Lord, I've had enough. Get me out of here. But remember, when you say that to the Lord, you've got at least another 20 years. think God's going to waste all of that hard work in the desert he did in you and let you get away without your ministry time? I love this story. It's such a dramatic illustration of the coming of Jesus Christ when we're going to all be taken up, caught up, raptured into the presence of God in a, in a visible coming that every eye shall see like lightning from east to west. We're going up. I want to go. Are you ready? Or are you still tied to the things of this earth? Are you still tied to the pleasures of this earth? Do you still have covenants with this earth? Or have you cut them? Some of you need to pray, Lord, take me out of the edge of the wilderness and take me straight to Gilgal where you can heal my wounds and restore me. And some of you need to pray, Lord, keep me in the wilderness until I get serious with you, until I'm ready to drop my pride and my religious spirit, my compromise with darkness. You know where you are today on the journey. But are you on the journey even? Or do you live in the wilderness like a nomad, comfortable, angry, raging, Growling, grabbing. Just trying to survive. Trying to get what you want. Find an oasis and camp there for a while till the water dries up. No, I don't want to die in the wilderness. I almost named this message today, don't die in the desert. But it is the journey. That we're on. Have you made a decision to finish that journey? Almighty God. Call us to the fulfillment of the journey. Lord some are just starting the journey. Some are well into the wilderness. And some are just on the edge of the wilderness. But Lord, I pray you quickly bring us all through into Gilgal that we could be used mightily by your spirit to restore and heal America. Lord, it's going to take righteous men and women to turn this nation around. I know the politicians cannot do it. All they can do is revile one another. Lord, I'm ashamed of the politicians of America. They fight like little children. Lord, I pray that you will bring righteousness and holiness to America through the pulpits of America, through the pastors and through the people. Lord, save us. I pray in your holy name. Amen.